So welcome everybody to Frontline Fundamentals, from my bookshelf to yours, this part of uh, a series of, that we're doing associated with some really popular books that I think you'll gain a lot of value from. My name is David McPeak. For those of you that don't know me, I am the Director of Professional Development at the Institute of Utility Business Media, the Incident Prevention Institute, and also the author of a book called Frontline Leadership, The Hurt. And I say that to say what we're doing now is focusing on this series that we've titled From My Bookshelf to Yours. In writing my book, you do a lot of research and I read a lot of books and, and use some things from, from a lot of books, really popular books, best-selling books. I'm not quite there yet with mine, but hopefully you can help with that. We'll talk about that later. So last time we talked about the seven habits of highly effective people from Stephen Covey. And today we're going to talk about a book that I absolutely love, Extreme Ownership, Jocko Willick and Leith Babin. Great book. I hope a lot of you have read it. And one of the things that I hope this series does is inspire you, hopefully maybe to read my book, but some of these others as well. And what we want to do is talk about their application to our jobs and our industry and how we can use some of the lessons learned. The goal is obviously not to go through each one of them in great detail and talk about everything they say. There's not enough time to do that. And they say so much. But what I wanted to do, and I mentioned last time in the seven habits of highly effective people, because before we get into extreme ownership today, I just wanted to review. Not necessarily each one of the seven habits, but I will go through them real quick. Be proactive. Begin with the end in mind. Put first things first. Think win-win. Seek first to understand, then to be understood. Synergize and sharpen the saw. And we derived from that some lessons about accountability and responsibility. And I love the way Covey rewrites that word responsibility, response-ability. And then how he talks about the gap between the stimulus and response in terms of our decision-making. Being proactive in terms of your attitude and language and a, and a whole lot of other things. And the behavior is a product of conscious choices that we make. I review that before we get into extreme ownership today, because there's a lot of wisdom in these books from these authors. And when we think about leadership and specifically how we lead safety, there are some themes and some overarching and overriding themes. When we talk today, extreme ownership, the title of the book, Covey, Seven Habits, the first one, Be Proactive. And it's all about responsibility and his circle of influence, circle of concern, as I mentioned, response-ability. And I want you to keep that in mind, and you'll see with every book that we choose and with any book you'll ever read about leadership, that is a huge theme, and, and very specifically in the utility industry about how we lead safety. I really think one thing that's missing is responsibility and accountability. We say that we're all responsible for safety. I am my brother's, my sister's keeper. And, and to a certain extent, I think we mean that up until something goes wrong, when an incident happens or somebody gets hurt, what have you. And I really challenge as we go through today and hopefully as you're reading some of these books and 
and studying a, a little more on them is to think about yourself and very specifically your team and to a certain extent your organization how we can lead safety how we can take extreme ownership and so as we say that just thinking about cubby's seven habits of highly effective people and thinking about in my book frontline leadership the hurdle it talks about what leadership is who leaders are what leaders do and you see some things in there, just picking out a few, right? Creating alignment and culture, the team's performance, decision-making, developing relationships. And one of the things that as you think now about extreme ownership, and you'll notice that I have listed extreme ownership on, on top of my book, it's, it's much better selling than I am. Uh, at the end, we'll give you the opportunity to purchase my book. Maybe you can help a little bit with that. But Think about just even going back to Covey. Did he talk about priorities? Did he talk about ownership? Did he talk about keeping things simple? Did he talk about planning? And so there's just some themes that run throughout all these books that we can take such great lessons, again, from the wisdom of these authors. And so I wanted to take today, obviously, and not go through this whole book, Extreme Ownership, but to pick three or four things out, especially related to how we lead safety and talk about those. And just a couple of things to set up and, and everything that you see in italics is going to be obviously from the authors themselves and not, and not from me. But it's a, it's a great start. The, prim the principles are simple, but not easy. Taking ownership for mistakes and failures is hard. But doing so is key to learning, to developing solutions. You're going to hear those words a lot today. And I want you to think about how do you define leadership? What is leadership? And a great way to do that is to think about, first, you and your team. What does your team expect from you as a leader? But also think up the chain of command, so to speak. The organization puts you in the position that you're in for a reason and they have trusted you with certain things. Developing solutions, I think, is a huge part of that. And it's interesting to think about how we define leadership, to think about some things maybe that leadership is not. And so what is the opposite of developing solutions? And think about that. And then my favorite quote from this book, and I use it in almost every training class that, that I'm a part of, it, it, it just to me nails what leadership is and mentions a little bit about what it's not, but of the exceptional leaders. And again, as think exceptional leaders, both in your personal and professional life, think about when you think, well, that's an exceptional leader. Why, why do you think they're an exceptional leader? We've served alongside throughout our military careers. The consistent attribute that made them great was that they took absolute ownership title of the book extreme ownership this is the one part of it that i love that i think is so very relevant not just to those things for which they were responsible but for everything that impacted their mission these leaders cast no blame they make no excuses instead of complaining about challenges or setbacks they developed solutions and solve problems they leveraged assets relationships and resources to get the job done their egos took a backseat to the mission and their troops. These leaders truly led. I love 
that is a hole in almost every line and every word in it. And a couple of the things that we'll talk about today is we go through what extreme ownership is. We're going to talk in terms of safety about normalization and deviation and what we can learn from this book. And a big part of it is us versus them mentalities and how a lot of times at a very high level, if I'm talking to folks in the field, then be it somebody from IT or an engineer or whatever other department it may be, the office and administrative aspects of the organization, how those groups tend to blame each other or how when you're talking to an individual, how they don't feel supported by the organization. And then if you talk to the organization, how they don't feel like each individual is bought in. And a lot of that comes from us not understanding this part, not just of those things which were for which they were responsible, but for everything that impacted their mission. For our purposes today, let's define our mission as safe, as keeping people safe. And I think that it's very true and may or may not agree, but when they say the principles are simple, but not easy, I actually think that's very true about safety. Safety is very simple. It really is. You identify hazards and you control them. Now you gotta be trained to do that. But if you boil safety down to being able to identify and control hazards, that's actually pretty simple to do. And we have all the tools in the world that we need to do that. We do all sorts of training on hazard identification. And we teach people about risk tolerance and we give them tools like job briefings. And then in terms of how to control hazards, we have the hierarchy of controls, which is pretty simple, elimination down through PPE. But we make it complicated. And hopefully today we can eliminate some of that complexity and understanding the wisdom behind this book, Extreme Ownership. So that's the framework that we're working. And again, if you define leadership as nothing else, developing solutions, and then it says they cast no blame, they made no excuses instead of complaining about challenges or setbacks, they developed solutions and solved problems. Now, if you can do those two things for people, develop solutions and solve problems, and the hurdle I talk about leadership being defined as a combination of influence and authority, here's what I promise you. If you can develop solutions for people and solve their problems, you will gain influence and they will ultimately give you authority. So, that is the overarching, overriding theme today is, number one, back to Covey, understanding our circle of control, influence, and concern, taking response-ability. Four, developing solutions and solve problems. We do that. We've got a great framework, and we set ourselves up really well to be able to lead safety. And we think about safety again, it is a simple concept that becomes very, very complicated in application. One of the biggest reasons for that, you could argue maybe the biggest reason for that, is this thing called normalization and deviation. You may have heard that called safety drift before. If you've studied human performance, maybe you're familiar with a term called condition, risk, acceptance, tolerance, CRAT. Whatever you call it, basically it boils down to here's the expectation, the best practice. 
our rules, our procedures, our work methods, the things that we're supposed to do. There's a sign on the road that says speed limit. And then there's a number, I guess, in between, not underneath. But that number and the word limit says that's as fast as we go. And yet I'm willing to bet, everybody listening right now, how many of you never drive above the speed limit? And it's a really simple example, but it starts to become very powerful in terms of normalization and deviation and why that happens. We rationalize breaking rules. As Danny Rain says, what was once unacceptable becomes acceptable. And the more we start to accept it, the more it becomes the norm. And so if you read the article that this is based on in Incident Prevention Magazine, one of the points I made about the book Extreme Ownership that I really love is a book that doesn't just identify and say, okay, well, well, here's what's wrong with this. And here's this problem, as we were just talking about, develop solutions, solve problems. They identify all that but then they give us things to replace it with. And decidedly a a great tool for anything to do with normalization and deviation and safety is benchmarking. Benchmarking against other people, benchmarking against other teams, benchmarking against other organizations. And if you're gonna benchmark against somebody, look at the best. And in terms of performance, Decidedly, the Navy SEALs are an organization that we should probably benchmark against. And this book gives us a lot of insight into the way that they think. This one line right here, when it comes to standards as a leader, it's not what you preach, it's what you tolerate. And I might even add to that, it's also what you do because the number one way that we all set standards It's through our example. That can be a very good or a very bad thing. But think about the example that you set and what you tolerate. When it comes to standards as a leader, it's not what you preach, it's what you tolerate. When setting expectations, no matter what has been said or written, if substandard performance is accepted and no one is held accountable, if there are no consequences, that poor performance becomes the new standard. That's how we create normalization and deviation. The good news is now, and a lot of times I think that especially with certain words like consequences, we automatically associate a negative connotation with it. That's not true. Consequences can be good. I love another book, Aubrey and James Daniel called The Measure of a Leader. And they go through and actually explain, I think do a very good job of it. Positive or negative consequences, immediate or future consequences certain or uncertain consequences. And I add to that significant or insignificant consequences. One of the key skills as a leader, especially in terms of safety, is learning to balance those. And that's one thing I don't think folks get is enough positive reinforcement. Never make the assumption, number one, that people even know what they're doing is right. A lot of times folks are just working out of habits the way we've always done it. Something called a confirmation bias. And number two, that they'll repeat it. But if we provide positive reinforcement, then folks are much more likely, number one, again, to know that what they're doing is good, and number two, to repeat it. 
And, and that's a really important concept as we start to think about, okay, this normalization and deviation, if there are no standards, if there, are, if no one's held accountable, if there are no consequences, that poor performance becomes the new standard. Earlier I mentioned driving, speed limit's 55. You drive 56 for a while. You don't get a ticket, you don't have a wreck, so then it's okay to drive 57, 58, 60, and then you talk to people that go the nine over. And then in their logic, the nine-year fine, ten-year mine, and all the arguments and all the way we rationalize it away. When there was a very clear-cut standard to start with, and we've deviated from it. So how can we not do that? The best teams anywhere, like the SEAL teams, are constantly lurking. And this is the opposite, right? The opposite of normalization of deviation is continuous improvement. Constantly looking to improve to add capability, push the standards higher. How about that in terms of safety? One of the biggest, uh, another book, and this, this series is titled from my bookshelf to yours, so we'll, we'll use a lot of book references, but Jim Collins, good to great. In terms of safety, how often do we settle for compliance? How often are we just happy if, there, if there's some rule or regulation or procedure that, we know, for instance, OSHA standards, they tell us these standards are written to provide a minimum level of protection, minimum level of protection. And so we make a bunch of work rules and standards and whatever else based on those. We provide a minimum level of protection. Maybe people get hurt. Maybe they don't. If they don't, especially, we're satisfied with that. And we just settle for compliance. Great teams, we're benchmarking again against a great organization here, push the standards higher. What really works here? A job briefing. It is compliant to hold a job briefing in the morning before beginning work. And the standard even says, and as conditions change, how often does that happen? And how often are we again settling for compliance, which is I've got a documented job briefing somewhere. And we don't even think about, well, what was the quality of the discussion? What hazards were identified? How were those hazards mitigated? Did we think about engineering controls before we think about PPE? We're happy we've got the compliance. And then even in that, we're happy if we're somewhat compliant and we start to drift down, we're steady. The poor performance becomes the new standard as opposed to Push the standards higher. And then this is what's really important, I think, for us as leaders. Remember, you can only change and control yourself. It starts with the individual. In a leadership position, that means you. And it spreads to each one of the team members until this becomes the culture, the new standard. So there really is no in-between here. I guess the in-between might be that we settle for compliance, which, okay, that, that's better than nothing. But good to great, Jim Collins says, good is the enemy of great. And that is why we have so little that actually becomes great. So if we have a, a middle ground, if you will, of compliance, below that, that substandard performance, above that, we push those standards higher until it becomes the culture. And remember, there's a huge amount of power in this statement, culture, is what drives behavior. So in terms of leadership and in terms of safety leadership, you create the right kind of culture and it will encourage desired behaviors. And that will become the new standard. 
graphically represented though, the way it tends to work, we're in a warehouse and there's a fire extinguisher mounted on the wall. That's a good thing. There's a little sign beside the fire extinguisher. It says there's no storage allowed right here because obviously if the building catches on fire and we've got stuff got, uh, stored in front of it, we need the fire extinguisher. It doesn't do us much good if we can't get to it. We may even mark off the ground in front of it, paint it a different color, whatever. Nothing goes here. That is the expectation, the best practice. That is the standard that, that's set. That is compliant. But what happens then, so I'm, I'm cruising around on my forklift and I've got an empty pallet on my blades or something like that. You ask me for help. You need to borrow my forklift. I look around and there's nowhere to set that empty pallet except where? Right there in front of the fire extinguisher. Rationalization kicks in. It's only going to take a minute. And the building's not on fire right now. So I go set that one box, that one pallet, my small load there in front of the fire extinguisher, that one time for that one minute. Now, all of you watch me do that. Your rationalization and your logic becomes, well, if it's okay for David to do it, it's okay for me to do it. And then it doesn't happen overnight. And the real scary part about this is we don't even realize we're doing it. But what happens is my box goes there and your pallet goes there and your box goes there and then my pallet goes there. Three or four months from now, we've got so much stuff in front of that fire extinguisher. We've drifted so far away from the standard, we don't even know that it's there. And if we hired a brand new person in our organization to work in that warehouse, they literally would not even know that there's a fire extinguisher back there and, and they can't even see where the ground is painted different and see the sign that says no storage allowed. So what do they think it is? It, not what do they think it is. In, 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 the, in, in reality, what it is now is a dedicated storage area. It is no longer where the fire extinguisher is. The real problem with that is there's not a problem. That's fine. Every day. Today, tomorrow, next week, next month, next year, two years from now, five years from now, 10 years from now. That is not a problem until it is. Until the building or something in it catches on fire and until we need that fire extinguisher. And at that point in time, even if we could tear through all that stuff and get to it, you know, we, we hadn't been inspecting it. We hadn't been maintaining it like we should. Whatever else is probably not going to work. That's the way normalization and deviation works. It happens so gradually over time by rationalizing small decisions. We set a new standard that becomes the norm, culture, drives behavior. And we don't even realize we have a problem. And unfortunately, and that's the way safety works, is we don't really realize the problems we have until something major happens. In this example, that would be the building catching on fire. In a lot of other cases, it's a major incident happens. Multiple people gets hurt or one person gets very severely or fatally injured or we knock the power out in the half country or whatever it may be. Something major happens where we realize, oh, yeah, we did have a standard for that, but we've drifted so far from it. Nobody knows what that standard is. Starts with the individual, spreads to each member of the team until it becomes the culture, push the standards higher the opposite of normalization and deviation. And I love the fact, coupled with Covey, 
If I, if I want to change my situation, I start with the one thing I can control myself. And as Jocko and Leaf say in the book here, it starts with the individual, starts with you, create that culture. And then this, in so many ways in today's world, is such a huge concept, us versus them mentalities. Now, I mentioned earlier, maybe the, the us versus them is the office versus the field. Maybe the us versus them is the engineers versus the line. Maybe it's management versus employees. Maybe it's the water department versus the power department versus whatever it may be. Maybe it's fleet versus IT. Or maybe it's your team versus my team. Now, I want to say, I want to stress, fostering a healthy amount of competition can be a very good thing. And I, I have seen that done well in a lot of organizations with safety. Where, where, where you really have competitions based on proactive measures, not so much who's been the longest without an injury, but, you know, who's done not only the most in terms of quality, but the best in terms of, uh, excuse me, the most in terms of quantity, but the best in terms of quality. Training. What about our observations? What are we finding? About? When are we proactively praising positive reinforcement, like we talked about earlier? And, the quote from this book that really resonated for me, because so many times you get a group and it is all, you know, the organization doesn't do this or my boss doesn't do this or my boss and I are aligned, but then whoever's the organization, the VP over us or our department head or our manager, our supervisor, however the hierarchy works, they're not aligned and therefore we can't, whatever it is. The mission in terms of safety is to protect people. Identify and control hazards. That's how you protect people. The mission is for everybody to go home every day in good condition. I think that's good, but we should add to that in safety. We should care enough about people and be committed to them in terms of not only preventing harm, but encouraging growth. That part of our mission with safety is not only that people leave as good as they came in, but maybe better through what they've learned and through the training they've got and through health and wellness programs that we encourage and foster. This really, and this is talking about a war, right? And it really, in this extreme example, put that in perspective for me about how we handle sometimes a lot of this us versus them mentality and either I'm the organization and I vilify the employees around the employees and I vilify the organization. I knew I had to adjust my perspective to mentally step back from the immediate fight just outside the wire and think about this question from a strategic level as if I were one of those generals in Baghdad or at the Pentagon. Sure, they were far from the front lines, and we hear that a lot, and that is true, right? But I love this perspective, and I think if you just at least start with this perspective, it can eliminate a lot of those us versus them mentalities. We had, they had the same goal we did, to win. Winning for us looks like people not getting hurt. One of my favorite, I shouldn't say favorite, but but a, a pretty common and prevalent us versus them mentality may be folks that are unionized and then the group that's not. 
that may be management, it may be other workers, whatever else. And, and an example I always like to ask people is, well, okay, so if, if we take a line worker, for instance, that's a member of the union, and they touch an energized power line without wearing rubber gloves, and then we take somebody that's not in the union, and they do the same thing, they touch that, that same energized conductor, no rubber gloves, who gets electrocuted first? And while that seems like a silly question, the answer obviously is probably both. I think it, it puts perspective on something that hazards do not discriminate. And in terms of us versus them mentalities, now decidedly at work, if we're, if we're having to have a conversation about literal discrimination based on any demographic, that's a whole separate issue that has to be addressed and eliminated, period. End of story about that. But just in terms of the figurative us versus them mentalities that we have, let, let's replace a couple of these words. I knew I had to adjust my perspective to mentally step back from outside the immediate job, just outside the work zone. And think about this question from a strategic level, as if I were one of those managers in the ivory towers wherever corporate headquarters is. Sure, they're far from the front line, but certainly they have the same goal we do to win. They have the same goal we do to protect people. They do not want people to get hurt. And the more I, th I think that we can gain that perspective and figure out how we can work as a team, Bob McCall, love Bob McCall. Team, he always wrote team, I shouldn't say right, and, and I hate to make fun of Bob, but if you ever saw his handwriting, completely illegible, literally the worst handwriting I've ever seen from a person. But anytime he would write or type, like let's say, so you could read it, the word team, he would always capitalize team, T-E-A-M. Together, everyone accomplishes more. We'll, we'll reinforce that thought a little more, but how can we replace teamwork? and use it instead of these us versus them mentalities. And I love the fact that if you actually look at US, the letters in the word us, and then T-H-E-M and them. And if we take all those letters and put them together and scramble them up a little bit, we can write the sum. And I think that's so good, such a good visual image of how we should think about very, very specifically ourselves and our team, right? That, that's where your efforts have to be in terms of safety, yourself and your team, but also for everybody in the organization and even some folks outside the organization. Like a lot of people like to vilify regulatory agencies, the OSHAs of the world. There's a reason that they exist. There's a reason that they write standards. And as much as we'd like to sit back and say is to justify somebody's job and make our lives more complicated and to, to give them excuses so they can write citations and profit from it and whatever, all those us versus them mentalities we have. Maybe we should think back and think about the sum and how they're part of it. And the fact that those sort of agencies have perspective outside our organization. They have a heck of a lot of data and experience and they've seen things go wrong. And they have subject matter experts that they use when they're promulgating standards. And they really think through and, and write out in terms of what has to be done. Don't tell us necessarily how to do it, their performance standards. And they provide us with a fantastic baseline. Again, compliance isn't the goal. 
there's value in that. So I, I challenge you, next time you're thinking about an individual, especially one on your team, maybe somebody from another department, maybe somebody or up or down the, the hierarchy at your organization or, or some of those agencies or whoever it may be outside of your organization, really challenge that perspective there. And when we're talking about safety, I think it's very difficult to argue that last line. They had the same goal we did to win. So think about how we can define winning in terms of safety. And then very simply, a chapter of my book, lead to win. And that concept is huge because we lead safety a lot of times not to lose. And I love to use the example. Everybody's been there. You either coach a team or you've played on a team or or you've got a sports team that you like somewhere that has lost a game at some point in time because they had a really good, fantastic game plan. And let's just say for the first half that they absolutely just annihilated and blew out their opponent. You're up by 20 points at halftime. It's a basketball game. And so what do you do? You completely shift your strategy. You go from what was working, lead to win. Now you're figuring out how can we not lose? Let, let's, you know, use as much of the shot clock and they'll take the air out of the ball strategy. But, and sometimes that works. I'm not saying that's never a good strategy. But what happens a lot of times is when we shift our strategy and we focus so much on not losing, we stop winning. In terms of how we lead safety, I think that we focus so much on what people shouldn't do. Maybe we don't tell them enough what they actually should do. And I think we focus, if you don't believe that, I always say, just open your safety manual up. How many of the rules start with thou shalt not versus how many of them say, here's what we want you to do. And then in training classes and safety meetings, and these aren't bad things, they're, they're useful. How much time do we spend going through incidents and case studies where people got hurt? How much time do we spend talking about all of our recordable rates and EMRs and injury-free streaks, value in those for sure. But we're almost focused entirely on what we don't want. And I think there's a lot of wisdom in focusing on winning in terms of safety. It goes back to that concept that's missing so often that I've mentioned twice now, positive reinforcement. Here's what we do want. Here's what's going well. It is so eye-opening and I dare say freeing to people. One of the things that I always challenges folks with when I'm, I'm teaching like job briefings, work planning, things like that. Heck of a lot of time devoted to what could go wrong. And absolutely that has to be the case. We have to talk about what could go wrong, identify hazards and control hazards. But I always tell people in, in listing some strategies, maybe of how you could improve a job briefing, ask a question and say, what could go right? It's seven o'clock in the morning right now. We get off at 3.30 or however those times work. What would this look like at 3.30 this afternoon if we did everything perfectly? And then in our post-job briefings, which I hope you're doing, fantastic tool. It's not just, hey, how bad did we screw up? What did we do wrong that we need to correct? How about ask? What did we do well today that we need to make sure we do again tomorrow and the next day and build on that? It is amazing. It is amazing how well safety will work when we lead to win and stop trying not to lose. And I think if you, if you really 
dig through and, and read in detail the book, Extreme Ownership. And I have, it's one of those books I mentioned in the article that I wrote about it. Uh, you've probably got some like that. I've, I've got books on my bookshelf that I can open and they're almost brand new, right? And, and then you've got a couple maybe where there's a highlight or a sticky note or something here or there. There's parts of this book, Extreme Ownership, that when I open it, I've made so many notes and so many highlights and and underlined so many things and circled so many things and written my little comments out in the notes or whatever. Uh, uh, part of the book's actually very difficult for me to read now. I almost, uh, I wish I knew Jocko and I could just call him and say, hey, I need another copy. Uh, I guess I could buy another copy, but that, but that's beside the point. It, it's, there's, uh, I say that what excites me about it is they go through some some really cool war stories and Navy SEAL stories, which is, you know, you read the title of the book, that's what you're expecting, and you get that. But then they say, all right, here's the business application of that. And when they're talking about the business application, they do give you a lot of times some case studies about what went wrong or some issues people had or whatever it may be, but they don't stop there. They give you, here's what you do in those situations. Here's what you do to prevent those situations from happening. So much wisdom in that book about how to lead to win. And that's one of the reasons that I think for safety leaders, it, it is almost a, a must read critical knowledge kind of book. So in, in thinking a lot about, it, and then I guess we're using a, a military book. So we'll use another military figure here, Colin Powell. Sums it up. I mean, how much do we talk about developing solutions and solving problems? Leadership is solving problems. Now, here is a great test for you, and only you can answer this honestly. And this is where one of the things that I try to highlight in my book about feedback is we're really good sometimes, and we focus a lot of our attention on skill development around how to give feedback. I don't know that we spend enough time talking about how to receive feedback. And then we, we you know, you get feedback from yourself internally, it's not always objective. Um, we get feedback from other people. And then we get feedback from system responses, results that we get, if you will. And there's feedback sometimes that is not necessarily spoken. And here's a good example of it. The day soldiers stop bringing you their problems is the day you have stopped leading them. And then, I mean, this can, this is a very, this will either be a huge compliment to you or a huge out, right? So think about how often people come to you and say, I need your help, right? They have either lost confidence that you can help or conducted or concluded that you do not care. Either case is a failure of leadership. And that kind of reminds me of the, the C5 leadership that we use in terms of competence, commitment, caring, courage, and credibility. A lot of those words are, are included in this statement, but leadership is solving problems. Extreme ownership, they say developing solutions as well. Same thing, kind of. The day soldiers stop bringing you their problems is the day that you have stopped leading. They have either lost confidence that you can help or concluded that you do not care. Either case is a failure of leadership. So on the one hand, I want you to think about how often are people coming to you with their problems and wanting you to have influence, right? That's what that is. Or that's an example of extreme ownership. That's an example of you being accountable, you being a leader, you being in that individual that seeks to push the standards higher. Or 
And, and remember this, the other case is A, B, C, D, E, A, B, C, D, E. And there's technically two Ds, but what that stands for is accuse, blame, complain, defend or deny, and make excuses. And they're rather, the thing about leadership and the thing about safety, it is challenging. You said it's simple, but it's not easy. And that is so true. So you're going to have challenges. You're going to have setbacks. You're going to have issues that arise. You're going to have difficult people, difficult situations. Sometimes you're going to have seemingly impossible people, problems, and situations. A great leader that has extreme ownership is going to develop solutions and solve problems. What they're not going to do is accuse, blame, complain, defend or deny, or make excuses. And so that's really one of those things, really take a step back almost. And sometimes I can challenge people literally to do this. Just keep a sheet of paper in your pocket. And every time you find yourself that A, B, C, D, E, make a little mark. And then every time you find yourself helping develop solutions and solve problems, notice I said helping. It doesn't mean you always do it yourself. Matter of fact, if you're a great leader, extreme ownership, you're probably not always doing it yourself and you're developing people to the point where they can. That's a whole nother subject. And hopefully those, the, the little marks you make are a whole lot more towards the right side of that paper than the left side of that paper. The reality for a lot of us though is sometimes we spend a whole lot of time in that ABCDE and in doing so, we eliminate our chance to develop solutions and solve problems and gain influence and authority and take extreme ownership. So that is just, I think, such a good quote that summarizes the book and such a good thought and a very practical application to it and a challenge to you. And then so the, the two we've talked about so far in, in this series of From My Bookshelf to Yours, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, Be Proactive, Begin with the End in Mind, Put First Things First, Think Win-Win. Seek first to understand, then to be understood. Synergize, sharpen the saw. Look at those words and think about, you know, some of the, the principles and theories and, and, and very practical application of those. And then just think about even the titles of the chapter from this book, Extreme Ownership. No bad teams, only bad leaders. Believe, check your ego, cover and move, simple, prioritize and execute, decentralize command, plan. Lead up and down the chain of command. That one's huge. Decisiveness, decisiveness amid uncertainty. And then, then a huge one. And this could almost, not almost, this, this is a separate book and could be a whole separate presentation. But discipline equals freedom. The dichotomy of leadership. And I just, if you happen to have a copy of Extreme Ownership, uh, I'm on page 277 right now. But a good leader must be, and I'm not going to read all these, but I want you to think about this in terms of the dichotomy of leadership. A good leader must be confident, but not cocky, courageous, but not foolhardy, competitive, but a gracious loser, attentive to details, but not obsessed by them. You know what I said? I wasn't going to read all of them. And I love them so much. I am strong, but have endurance, a leader and a follower, humble, not passive, aggressive, not overbearing, quiet, but not silent. And I love these, calm but not robotic, logical but not devoid of emotion, 
And if you want to express an emotion, I'll go back to our C5 leadership model. The word caring is in the middle. People have to know that you care. Close with the troops, but not so close that one becomes more important than another or more important than the good of the team. Not so close that they forget who's in charge. And then able to execute extreme ownership while ex exercising decentralized command. And, and again, that's a book that I could open and, and you could just pick any page and read two paragraphs from it and do a whole hour long presentation and, and how powerful that would be. But it is such a great book. And I hope in, in just taking a few minutes and going through some of the key principles in there and, and hopefully relating them to, to issues that we all face, especially in terms of safety, things like normalization, deviation, things like those us versus them mentality, things like complete and total lack of ownership rather than extreme ownership. That you get from this challenging ways to think about things, not for yourself only, start with yourself, but for your team. And then it benefits you. And I, and I hope if you haven't, be it an audio book or watch the movie or read the book or however you, you like to consume things, that in terms of all three of the books, uh, Frontline Leadership, The Hurdle, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, Extreme Ownership, maybe it'll encourage you to read some of those. That'll help you grow your competence as a leader. And we'll continue this series next month. Great book, The Success Principles from Jack Canfield. We'll talk about those. And, and just to reinforce what we've talked about today, guess what the number one principle in the success principles is? And guess what Jack defines in that book as the foundation of everything he's else that he's going to talk about in the whole book? Take 100% responsibility for your life. That sounds a heck of a lot like extreme ownership. That sounds a heck of a lot like, as Covey defines it, being proactive. So I very much look forward to, to rereading that book as, as I develop some of that material and going back through some of these books and thinking about how we can all apply them. Quotes from each one of the book to close us with. Each man was expected to maintain that high level of physical conditioning so that he could pull his own weight and never falter on an operation. As a critical part of our culture, huge word, we constantly challenged each other to test a physical strength. And I hope we don't do that necessarily, but how about in terms of safety? How are we critical part of our culture, constantly challenging each other? And I mentioned this quote earlier, if I really want to improve my situation, I can work on the one thing over which I have control myself. And I love in extreme ownership, how they go through and talk about all the training that the Navy SEALs have prescribed to them, which is a lot. I mean, a whole lot. How even in their downtime, that's when they thought about how can I make myself better physically right now so I can be a better part of the team. What, what a great image for us. And what, what a great way to, to close this presentation is for us to think about how we can make ourselves better to improve our teams and create culture. So there is my contact information. If anybody wants to discuss any of this, uh, our next webinar, as I mentioned, on the success principle, Stacy's put a link in the chat there. If anybody's interested in my book, there's a, uh, what do you call those things, a QR code uh, where you can, that'll get you to the Amazon link. I think it's available, as are these other books for sure, wherever you like to, to get books. 
And I very much thank you for your time and for your attention today. And I just, I really challenge you to um, think about this concept and how you can use the wisdom from these authors in these books to improve yourself as a safety leader and to make your team successful. So uh, Stacy's also posted a link to our forum this Friday. It's free. I hope you'll sign up for that. Click there. And I'm available again. I'll go back to my contact information if anybody has questions, thoughts, or comments. And um, again, I just appreciate the time that you took to be here today. And more importantly, the time that you'll take to think about how some of these concepts apply to you, your job, your life, and your team. Everybody stay safe and be well.